0: Strange, yet true stories. Tales from the light side, the dark side, and the other side. I'm Steve White. Angels Among Us Since the beginning of time, people have claimed to have been saved or rescued by divine beings. Some call these beings spirit guides, protective spirits, or angels. Whatever you call them, they seem to be real and ready to assist you when you need them the most. Here are six true submitted stories that will have you grateful that someone or something has your back. 1. When I was twelve years old, I saw my first angels. In November, we had light snowfall in the country I had been at a school function and was dropped off at the main road, which was only five-eighths of a mile or so from my home. The night was one of those wonderful moonlit nights, and I felt calm and glad to have such a beautiful walk. Although some people had cabins near us, no one lived year-round along the road but my family. There was a curve in the road along which trees were so thick and tall that even in summer it lay in shade. Because it was dark, it was the only part that I disliked. As I neared the dark curve in the road, I heard the loud crashing of a huge animal pounding its way toward me. Remembering that safety from attack lay in utter stillness, I stopped walking. Whatever it was, stopped too. Motionless, we both waited. I began to pray to God to save me from the horror of being ripped apart alive. I must have prayed for several minutes when I became aware of identical male angels hovering on either side of me about shoulder height. They were a bit smaller than life-size, or rather were more my size, yet they were definitely adults with short brown hair, large white wings, and long white robes. After ten minutes or so I was becoming chilled, and the soft snow that was gently falling was beginning to pile up on my shoulders. I knew I soon had to continue on home. Finally I could stand still no longer, and told God I had to walk on now. At that exact moment a loud crashing announced that animal had crossed over the road and was heading into the woods away from me. To my surprise, behind me coming over the hill was Dr. McClure and his two sons. They had just left their car at the main road and were making one of their rare winter visits to their cabin. I stood still from an immense relief, realizing the animal must have heard them, and that was why it ran away. Dr. McClure was surprised to find me just standing in the road covered in snow. He expressed his concern and mild annoyance at my stupidity to allow myself to become so chilled. I told him why and what I had heard, but he didn't believe me, until we entered the curve on the road. His flashlight shone on the unmistakable proof of large animal tracks. We were all amazed. He never accepted that I was in danger, but I felt it so strong, and I know I was. Those two angels accompanied me home until I entered the house. I didn't see another angel until I was twenty-three. After an incredibly difficult year in my life, my year-old son Jason died. The two male angels appeared the day before Jason died and stayed there by my side for several weeks. The emotional blow of his two-day coma and his subsequent death was the last straw for my constitution, and I could feel my life force evaporating from me slowly, like steam out of a kettle. Over the next six weeks, I saw many beings, angelic and otherwise. But that's another story. 2. It was in the early 1990s. I can't remember the exact date, but I will never forget what happened. I was a long-haul truck driver from Colorado, and I was on my way to Florida. It was about 3 a.m., and I had been driving all day. So I pulled into a truck stop somewhere in Louisiana and parked my truck. This was a huge parking lot. I got out of my truck and started to walk to the truck stop to get something to eat before going to sleep for the night. There were no other truckers walking around. About halfway to the truck stop, I was checking my wallet to see how much money I had to spend. I looked up and a man was walking up to me, and he was about five feet in front of me. It was like he just appeared out of nowhere. I looked at him and he had the bluest eyes I have ever seen. The man asked me, brother can you spare some money so I can eat I could not take my eyes off of his it was like he could see right through me I gave him five dollars and he said bless you I started to the truck stop and I turned around right away thinking he would go in and get something to eat and to my surprise he was gone I mean he vanished even if he had run there was no way he could have gotten out of sight that fast To this day, I believe I was being tested by an angel. 3. Chicago, Illinois, 1977 This is an absolutely true story. My father tells this story every so often, and when he does, it gives me the chills. My parents were unmarried then and they were driving to the west side of Chicago on I-57 at 11 a.m., headed south when their car just died right in the middle lane of the highway. My father frantically tried to start the car, but with no luck. My mother says she was terrified because she knew it was a possibility that another car could smash into their car, going over 70 miles per hour. They said that cars were whizzing by, and the wind was so great that it would shake their little car. My father said all of a sudden they looked back and there was a black pickup truck behind them. The truck was at a T-shaped formation and the driver's side door so close to my parents back bumper that it could have been touching. My father said this truck just appeared out of the blue with no sign that it had ever been driven. My father stated that in order for the truck to make that perfect T position, It would have had to made several different maneuvers, but it didn't. It was like it was dropped from the sky. My father told my mother, What is this fool doing? He's going to get someone killed. My father said the man in the truck never got out, never rolled down his window, nor did the man look my parents' way. The man just stayed looking forward, never even acknowledging my parents. My father described the man as having a long neck and sitting at attention like a soldier that has been given an order. After about 45 seconds, their car finally started. When my parents looked back to thank the man, the truck was gone. The only way for the truck to leave was to do a maneuver and drive past them, but it did not. It just vanished. My parents believed that it was an angel that was sent there to protect them, to preserve their future. My parents have always been extremely truthful people, and they recall this story as if it happened yesterday. 4. This incident happened to my aunt sixteen years ago. Being a devout Hindu, she used to go to a temple situated five miles away from her home in the city of Klang, Malaysia, every Friday evening. Having just obtained her driver's license, my grandma still insisted upon dropping her off and picking her up at about 9.30 p.m., when the weekly special prayer sessions would be over. My aunt used to wait opposite the temple on a stretch of a road that was very poorly lit and isolated all those years back, unlike now since my grandmother would be only ten minutes late at the very most to pick her up, my aunt never had a reason to fear for her safety while waiting by herself. Well, it just so happened that one fateful September night, my aunt waited and waited for almost twenty minutes, and there was simply no sign of my grandmother. It was nearing ten p.m., and back then my aunt did not even own a cell phone, so she could not contact her mother to find out what was holding her up. In truth— As she later admitted to me, she was terrified out of her wits, for it was already two minutes past ten p.m., and she was stranded all by herself on a lonely stretch of road where drug junkies were known to hang out, and she had a long way to go. It was when she started to walk off from the spot where she had been waiting that she noticed a man standing a few meters in front of her, his figure encompassed by shadows. He walked out into the sole streetlight putting his features into sharp relief. My aunt gasped out loud when she noticed his complexion was as dark as the night itself. According to her, she had never seen a person as dark as that before in her entire life, and his extremely swarthy complexion was the only striking thing about this stranger apart from his height. He must have been well over six feet tall. He walked over to my aunt and asked her whether her mother was running late as if he had known her her entire life. The funny thing was, my aunt did not feel threatened in any way by the mysterious appearance of this stranger, though she did feel slightly suspicious and apprehensive about talking to him. So she just nodded. He then asked her whether she had been planning to walk home on her own. She nodded again. He then said it was not safe for her to walk home alone at that hour of the night, and he offered to walk her home. Startled at the audacity of this man who had appeared seemingly out of nowhere, my aunt somewhat politely declined his offer and said she intended to wait for her ride to arrive after all. But then she was in a fix, for she did not want to stay there with this strange man. The man said nothing. He just stood back a pace and waited with my aunt. After what seemed like an eternity, though it was only probably another twenty minutes later, my grandmother finally arrived. She turned to look at the stranger who had not budged all the while, jerked her head in some gesture of farewell. She ran to the car and got in. That's when she noticed something so strange and chilling that it gave her goosebumps. The stranger, who had been there a moment ago, had just vanished into oblivion. AND THE THING IS THAT THERE WAS NO WAY HE COULD HAVE LEFT IN SUCH A BRIEF LAPSE OF TIME, IN FACT, IN A SPLIT SECOND. HE WAS DEFINITELY NOWHERE DOWN OR UP THE ROAD, AND THERE WERE NO TREES OF ANY KIND OR foliage ON THAT PARTICULAR ROAD TO HIDE HIM FROM VIEW. NEEDLESS TO SAY, MY AUNT WAS DUMBFOUNDED AND SHAKEN TO THE CORE, BUT SHE KEPT HER SILENCE AND DID NOT MENTION THE STRANGER AND HIS VANISHING ACT TO MY GRANDMA. But that was not all. When my aunt finally related the incident to my grandma a couple of days later, she told my aunt that she had not seen any tall, dark stranger standing next to my aunt when she had stopped the car in front of my aunt on that night, though my aunt knew for a fact that he was standing right next to her. In retrospect, all we could come up with to explain the inexplicable appearance and disappearance of the man is that he must have been her guardian angel. And he was there to save her from whatever harm that might have otherwise befallen my beloved aunt. 5. My first child was born four months after my mother died. I was married in my hometown in Texas and started a family immediately. I began to notice my husband was very unstable and couldn't keep a job long enough to lay down roots. But being from a very religious family, I stayed with him and did the right thing. Within two years, we moved to the city of Detroit, Michigan, so that he could pursue a career in his father's business. Like everything else, that lasted only a short time. We struggled financially, moved from one rundown rental to another, depending on the church for many things we needed just to survive. It was totally humiliating. After five years our second daughter was born, and by that time I could tell my life was not going to improve unless I got out and made it happen. She was three when I made the painful decision to go back and start a permanent career, never to look back. This was one of the most serious decisions I had to make. I knew deep inside that I was making a major shift in my life from being a submissive wife too tough career woman, willing to do whatever it took to establish myself and provide a home for my children. I started going on interviews. My confidence was low, my experience sparse since being able to do only freelance work while raising two children. But one day, feeling very hopeful, I went on an interview and for some reason the job seemed like answered prayer. It was perfect for me and I was down to my last ounce of hope for getting hired. Then the call came. I was turned down. I remember almost collapsing in my front room on the couch from exhaustion, disappointment, and hopelessness. I didn't understand why my life had to be so hard, so painful, and why didn't I get the job? In my spirit, I must have been crying out for my mother like a small child, because I know she came and sat down right beside me. She put her spiritual arm around my shoulders and said, Glenda, you don't belong there. You'll find the right job for you. Although there were no words spoken, the message was loud and clear, and I was filled with such hope and calm and peace. Now, fifteen years later, I am well established, successful, and able to give my children a good home and a mother's undying love. I remember that day like it was yesterday. Thank you, Mom. I know you're there when I need you. 6. There are numerous ways to help those in need if you open up your hearts and are receptive to it, said the rector of our Episcopal Church closing out his particularly powerful sermon on this Sunday morning. His topic of helping others, looking for opportunities to assist those who need a little help, struck a chord with my wife and me, and we vowed that we would share our good fortune with those who needed a helping hand. We exited the church into the warm spring April afternoon in Greensboro, North Carolina. My wife and I were new parents. Jack was just eight months old, and we felt incredibly blessed to have a beautiful, healthy baby and a terrific life with a great future ahead of us. We got into our car, rolled the windows down since it was so nice outside, and decided that a Sunday lunch at the K&W cafeteria would be a good idea. We drove through parts of downtown Greensboro on our way to the restaurant. I pulled up to a stoplight on Battleground Avenue. We were the second car in the right lane, and cars pulled up beside and behind. Waiting for the light to change, I suddenly heard a man's voice say, Excuse me. Can you help us?" I turned to see a man, a woman, and a little baby in the woman's arms. The man put his hand on the door next to my wife, leaned down a bit so we could see his face and said hurriedly, but not loudly, "'Hi. Sorry to bother you, but can you help us? We have been in an accident a few blocks back. We need to get to the drugstore to pick up medicine for our baby. Can you take us?' Nothing made sense about any of that story. First. We hadn't seen anybody walking on the sidewalk when we pulled up. Secondly, we hadn't seen any accident or heard any emergency vehicles. Why would you not stay with your car and wait for the police if you had? And why was it so urgent to get medicine for the baby? My mind swirled in a thousand different directions in a microsecond. The recent words of the minister rang in both my wife's and my head. We were new parents just like these two seemed to be. We had empathy for a sick child and could understand the worry they may be experiencing. But still, it didn't really add up. We hesitated, my wife and I looking at each other with the question of, what do we do on our faces? Please, please help us. We just need to get down the road to the Eckers Drugstore for our baby. The light was getting ready to change, so we needed to make a decision quickly. My wife looked at me and asked, What do you think? I said, It's up to you. She nodded a yes, and I was just about to hit the door locks to unlock the door and nearly ready to say, Okay, climb in, when to my left I heard the voice of an older woman say, No, don't do it! The woman had physically gotten out of her car, which was in the left lane, and screamed those words at us from over the roof of her car. I was stunned. This woman's car was not right next to ours. It was a car length ahead in the other lane. How could she possibly have heard what the couple was asking of us? The man had bent down to make sure we could hear him, but he didn't scream his words. Why had the woman decided to get involved? It was of no concern to her. The man shouted something back at the woman, but we honestly can't recall what he said. She looked at us once again, and told us not to allow them in our car. And then she got back in the driver's seat of her car, and I turned back to the passenger side of our car to tell the people that we weren't going to give them a ride, but nobody was there any longer. I turned to look out the back window. Nothing. I could not see them anywhere. The man, the woman, the baby had disappeared. The light turned green. I wanted to drive up next to the woman to thank her somehow, maybe stop at a light up ahead to ask how she could have possibly overheard the request and why she decided to get involved. Why did she think the people were up to no good? But she drove away rapidly. I kept her in my sights, but traffic around me wouldn't let me speed up to allow me to catch her. Most older people don't drive the way she did either. She soon drove out of our sight and we never saw her again. My wife, son, and I went to lunch as we had initially planned. We talked about the incident over lunch. We were shaken, thinking about what might have been. Upon reflection, their story made even less sense, and we kicked ourselves for even considering letting them in our car with our eight-month-old in the back. It made us shiver at the what-if. We talked about the details over and over and could not come to any logical conclusion about what transpired at the stoplight. The only thing we could think of that made any sense to us was that we had been protected by an angel. Hi, I'm Steve White and this last story is my own. My wife and I still talk about it to this day. Our son is now fifteen and we also have an eleven-year-old we continue to be incredibly grateful for all that we have and for our guardian angel protecting us on that beautiful spring day in 2002. You have just heard six true stories of angels among us. If you have a true story about your guardian angel or about any supernatural occurrence that has happened to you, let us know in the comments below or send us an email at strangebuttruestories. At gmail.com. I'm Steve White. Until next time.